Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end where we're going to share some exciting opportunities. And please feel free to share this with others who you know will also find it of interest. So today's podcast is actually a recording of a webinar done earlier this week. And I'm very excited to share the entire dialogue with you. I apologize in advance for a somewhat long introduction, but I want to set the stage because this is the... uh significant and 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 even somewhat contentious issue that that it is uh before our podcast and webinar program began i sent out a video to all of the participants and those who were registered by kohelet kohelet is one of israel's most influential right of center think tanks as much as they make a very clear case for the need for reform they've also called for compromise and have been critical about how some of the process has taken place and the breadth of the proposed reforms. I find that refreshing that we have right-wing people not automatically lining up with the government, but also, uh, but also indicating that there are, there are merits, but there are challenges as well. While there are many on the right and the left who see the need for reform, just that it be done better, smarter, and by building consensus, much of Israel is polarized arguably in a way that we've never seen before. If you've been following the news, you know that the past three months after plans for the reforms have been announced, protests began. Initially, these were somewhat spontaneous, but then they became organized, regular, and part of an opposition agenda to discredit, if not bring down the government. We saw that in the previous government over different issues as well. Politics are an inescapable uh, part of, of the opposition pitting itself against the government, and vice versa. But today, the opposition, and I don't mean the opposition with the, in the parliamentary sense, I mean in the opposition to the, to the judicial reforms, have bred widespread polarization within government representatives and others referring to protesters as anarchists, non-Zionists, and even Nazis, and opposition leaders and others referring to the government as fascists and anti-democratic. Foreign leaders have spoken out as well publicly against the reforms about their concern for the nature of Israeli democracy in a way that we don't see government leaders of one country typically doing with other countries and have been criticized domestically for interfering in, in Israeli politics. Last month, after the prime minister fired the defense minister for speaking out about the possible damage that the judicial reforms were doing in terms of security for Israel and reservists not showing up, 
spontaneous protests and even rioting took place against those who were who were leading the reforms and more protests and people in favor of the reforms to balance the anti protest anti government protests it's worth noting that while they were disruptive and some were illegal protests were allowed to take place more or less unimpeded and with little exception there was no violence but there were nationwide strikes and those strikes and the protests were part of catalysts to have the prime minister announce a suspension of the process and opening of negotiations with the opposition it's hard to sum up 3 months in 3 minutes there's much more to discuss and i'm sure that our panelists today will do so our point today is to create understanding to explain to dissect and to clarify these issues have not just torn israelis apart uh for making tense relations among families at work and even in social settings as much as the issues are divisive in israel they have also been divisive overseas i want to use just a few examples relating to this that i've experienced and this specific event over the weeks i've received numerous inquiries from friends overseas asking to explain what's going on and how they can pray for israel one person wrote that from his perspective it seems like the government in general and prime minister in specific is acting in a fascist manner trying to secure power for itself a pastor wrote beseeching me to address this as the media overseas was fanning the flames in a way that's anti-israel and people are believing that israel is becoming fascist he said that none of the other organizations that build bridges between jews and christians would touch this and ask me to address it then when we announced the plans to address this with this event uh just saturday night one donor to the genesis 123 foundation was so upset with my using the word fascist just to describe the nature of the tension here in israel that she said she would no longer donate to the genesis 123 foundation wow. so these are just some personal perspectives i had others i wanted to share but unfortunately zoom is not letting me read from my screen at the moment but it, what it what it highlights is that all this these three very different perspectives were all triggered by the same word we're not here today to discuss my personal opinions but i will state one thing clearly i do think israel needs judicial reform ideally and eventually including a constitution that requires consensus i think that both the government and the opposition have handled their respective roles in this instance poorly i think that consensus could have been built at the outset but we're not there now so we need to first understand how we got to where we are and to do so now i am really pleased to introduce our three panelists arnie draymond has been a philanthropic consultant helping individuals and foundations around the world to give their tzedakah their charitable donations wisely efficiently and effectively for over 20 years he also consults high tech companies and in in pr and marketing and in social media and website development rolene marks is a freelance journalist who appears regularly on radio television and in numerous publications worldwide she's she's the owner of rolene marks consulting specializing in media public relations consulting on jewish and israel related topics she's the co-founder of lay of the land and host of the israel brief on youtube erica shakney is editor of the jerusalem post magazine 
where she has responsibility for putting together the weekly magazine, which I read religiously on, on Shabbat, um, additional supplements, including in Jerusalem and other holiday and seasonal features. And I'm especially glad Erica is with us because it means that she has a break before the Passover rush, which is taking place. Erica is a frequent commentator on a variety of issues in Israel, ranging from politics, culture, and food. In addition to all of these three being intelligent and articulate advocates for Israel, they also can see the gray between what's become so polarized, and that's why I invited them. They're also each judges in the upcoming What Israel Means to Me art contest that the Genesis 123 Foundation is sponsoring for Christian children, and you can get more information about that at whatisraelmeanstome.com. Arnie, Rolene, and Erica, I am so grateful for you being here today. Thank you for listening to my introductory words, and welcome to Inspiration from Zion. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, albeit that my introduction was somewhat long, um, I really want to jump in and hear from you. So I'm going to stick in right now for the moment in alphabetical order. What did I leave out in my introduction, Arnie? Oh, good. <laughs> um, no, alphabetical, that's good. Uh, first of all, I, I think one of the questions that we have to talk about when we talk about government and opposition, uh, we often get the labels of right-left. And it's a real problem here in Israel uh, because uh, I would say a large majority of the voting public uh, on however you want to define it, right and left, are very much right wing when it comes to security issues. It should be obvious as to why uh, we live in a very uh, rough neighborhood and we have to maintain uh, certain uh, security uh, you know, the, the, the whole related to the security issues are very important to those people. At the same time, of course, more people would like to see certain movements uh, in terms of our neighbors and whatever peace we could make with whoever we can. And we've uh, certainly progressed in that area. And on the left, uh, I think a lot of people are very much in favor of social welfare issues, which is, tends to be a much more left-wing issue. So uh, I'm not sure left-right fits. And also there's a problem where I think the opposition, the government, the majority of the people in the opposition government today tend to be centrist, not uh, left-wing, as we would call it. So uh, we have to be careful how we uh, define it so we understand what we're talking about. It's important. Rolene, what did Arnie and I leave out? Well, I agree with Arnie. I think that this is a very, very complicated issue. And uh, I think that one of the issues that we do have here is that we, we have uh, seem to have imported this uh, popularist type of um, division that unfortunately we see in countries like the United States where things are very, very polarized in, in each direction. And here in Israel, it's not. Uh, just from covering the, the, the protests, I have seen uh, people from all walks of society, including uh, the kippahs will govern knitted kippot in places like Kushetzion, um, also protesting. You know, uh, that's why I think looking from outside, it's very dangerous to apply these pejoratives like left versus right, religious versus secular. Um, I think one thing that these um, 
proposed overhauls have done, and certainly the opposition, is that any chasms that have been bubbling under the surfaces uh-huh. for, for many, many decades uh, have now boiled over. Uh, you know, you're hearing accusations from, from some saying, um, this was my opportunity not to feel like a second class citizen. And, and I think, uh, the scary thing is, it hasn't just polarized Israeli society, it's polarized the diaspora uh, as well. And as many times as we say, you know, Israelis need a come to Moses moment, you know, we need to sit and have a, <laughs> A, a soul-searching moment, a, a reckoning with our with ourselves, and it's something that we do very well uh, as Jews, as debate everything. I think once, wherever we get to with this, and I'm hoping that it's broad-based consensus, that we can sit as a nation and examine what hurts there were that really boiled over that we are seeing uh, playing out at the moment. Good, good comment. Um, I want to ask Erica, but before I do, um, just make a comment how you use the, the phrases right and left and religious is sec- and secular, but noted that at least in today's uh, environment, those are pejorative uh, things. They shouldn't be. I, I, I'm, I'm right wing. Um, and, and ki pasugra in Gush Etzion. You've been spying on me, I can tell. Uh, <laughs> Always, Jonathan. Yes. All seeing eye. But I don't, I don't consider it to be pejorative that I'm right-wing and religious, um, much or live here, um, no, nor do I consider it pejorative that I have friends who are left-wing and secular and live in other parts of the country. So I, it, but it's a, it's a good observation on, on your use of words. But that's why I think it, this, um, Israel is full of gray areas. You know, the world, if they look from the outside, tends to look at, at the conflict. And, and we've been saying it for yeah. years that, uh, you know, things aren't black and white here. Correct. Everything's a gray area. And sometimes the area is not just gray, it's pink with, uh, neon green spots. That's how complicated it is. And I think this is yet another issue right. and, and the temptation. Um, certainly outside and certainly because we are so aware of the type of language used sure. in situations around the world that immediately we, we reach for those labels, sure. left versus right, religious versus secular. So I think, um, it's important that people understand that, that, that this is, um, an issue that is far more complicated than it, Certainly, that is playing out in, in the global media. One hundred percent, and we're not even touching the Arab-Israel conflict. Uh, Erica, how about you? What what what's left out? What what needs to be un- understood in the global picture before we delve into the actual topic? Um, I agree with uh, Arnie and Merlene that um, it's not a simple thing. And I want to bring out the systemic issues that are at play here. The coalition system just leads to a lot of this. Um, it's very hard to get consensus. And this we're coming um, up on, this has been five consecutive elections. Um, how many years has it been? I don't know, five and a half, I guess. Um, it's cost milliards, as we say here, billions of shekels, and we went through a pandemic, and we're going through a tech um, bust, 
Um, even though we're the high tech nation, right now we're dealing with an economic slowdown and the average person is having trouble just making the bills. And meanwhile, um, it seems very petty that the members of Knesset are just fighting constantly. And um, I decided at the start of all this because I find myself exhausted by it, to be honest. Um, we've all been through a lot. The whole world has been through a lot and Israel is always going through something. But this is bigger. And I think people say who've lived here for 30 years or 50 or 70, it's more deep and divisive than they've ever seen. And I, we always prided ourselves, as Raleen said, in not um, importing that type of populist uh, division the way the United States did and how, let's say, Trump supporters can no longer talk to members of their family who were not, you know, right. you know, they got um, exiled. We never did that here. And suddenly it seems like we are. So um, in any case, I decided that I am not going to be angry at any person, right, left or center, because we've all been through, put through the mill. And um, I'm actually quite upset with our leaders. And I don't even consider them leaders. Uh, we say government, then govern. When was the last time a government governed, I ask you? Why do they keep getting raises? They give themselves raises every year. It's the biggest racket ever. And um, they can. there's so much power concentrated in the hands of so few. And a single person can bring down the government. And we've seen that over and over. And the biggest issue last, was it last year that brought down the government was bringing chametz into hospitals or it's outrageous, a Passover bread issue. And that's what brought down the entire government. And for six months, I felt we actually had a consensus and the tension that had been in the air was slightly lowered. Yeah. And people say second-class citizens. That's the first um, government that I felt represented me as a woman who's centrist and, um, you know, modern Orthodox, I guess you could say. But regardless, I don't want to um, put myself into any spectrum. I do consider myself a centrist. Um, but now the tension is back and it's worse than ever. And I feel it. I went to Tel Aviv the other day and people were kind of not as nice as they usually are. The nice thing about Israel is people are in a good mood and they try to help you. And I just felt like people were suffering and that's what we're dealing with here. And that's why I think it's so important for us to unify because we're really fighting for the soul of our country here. And that's exactly Do you have children or know somebody who does? If the answer is yes, you need to hear this. This year, in celebration of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has launched an incredible art contest for your children and Christian children all around the world. The contest, What Israel Means to Me, gives your children the opportunity to show why Israel is special to them through art. They can draw, paint, color, or illustrate this in any way they want. The contest will be judged according to different age groups, with real prizes awarded to the winners. Please visit whatisraelmeanstome.com for details, contest rules, and how to register your child. Deadline for submission of all entries is in April, and the announcement of winners will be at a live event on May 14th. Please don't delay in registering your child, and please share this with others who will also want their children to participate. Visit whatisraelmeanstome.com and join us today. Okay, yeah. so I, I, I want to come to that. Um, Erica, specifically, when we're talking about 
the the failure of the governments, right? Where however many years we've lost count, but we know how many elections we've been through. Um, I had intended initially in my introduction to read uh, a comment from Mark Baker, who's a a, a good friend, a, a, a generous donor to Genesis One Two Three Foundation, and also somebody with whom I've been having some of the most interesting and insightful email chats. Um, with credit to him, that I believe he's much more insightful. But there, he he raised exactly that point vis-a-vis the government and and the essential need for government reform, right? We're talking about judicial reform, and I want to come back to that. But I have to read a quote from him because I was able to now figure out how to 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 reduce the screen here. Um, Mark wrote, "It's refreshing to have someone actually analyze the judicial issues." as opposed to the current climate where political opponents of Netanyahu are against his reforms out of hatred for all things Netanyahu, as opposed to arguing the merits. I've heard protesters admit that reforms are necessary, but BBs go too far. Unfortunately, they and the media don't discuss the specifics, and and that's not here. We're discussing specifics and are manipulating the public with hysteria that Israel is headed toward dictatorship. Now, we can get into that if we want, but I, I did want to include Mark's voice because I thought that was a really important thing. Let me let me take now to the issue of judicial reform, specifically the topic that we've been uh, assembled to 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 try and unpack and help clarify, and and maybe your words will um, help create that sense of unity or recreate a sense of unity or at least tone down uh, among among those who are listening to us. Um, the past three months. We've seen issues relating to the reforms, how they were presented or tried to be pushed forward, um, specific issues relating to the Supreme Court, notions that Israel is losing its democracy or conversely is in a hyper democracy. Uh, as I mentioned in my outset, and I noticed Arnie nodding the need for a constitution, the religious secular divides that Rolene alluded to, right left divides, um, a need for political reform that Erica um, just alluded to, and I brought up. Um, Erica, starting back with you, what in the past three months are the one or two issues, and maybe you just addressed it um, in, in terms of government, but what are the one or two issues that we need to hone in on here? Um, from my perspective about judicial reform, um, it is necessary, but it's being used cynically um, by this government for its own aims. And that's what I feel is the issue these days, that it's just a bunch of vendettas being played out on the backs of the people. And um, they're using judicial reform and people say it's because Netanyahu wants to get out of having to be on trial. That's what a lot of people say. And some people say that Ehud Barak is funding the protests. Regardless, um, judicial reform, um, there's definitely a need for it because right now it seems like the, the high court, the Supreme Court is kind of like almost like a small court of a, like a small time court that any person can come and bring their grievance rather than just voting on the big issues. And also the court can come in at any point and kind of strike down something that the government had passed since the days of Justice Barak. They can uh, take issue with the basic law and they have too much power. A However, basic law. I just want to interject, Erica. A basic law yeah. for those who don't know is are the elements of our version of a, of a constitution, albeit that we don't have a constitution. Right, and we desperately need a constitution. There's no doubt about it. 
Um, so what was I saying? <laughs> Sorry. Um, judicial reform, that it's being used cynically. Like, I mean, it's pretty obvious that to some extent the Supreme Court has gone rogue. I'm happy that it's there and we need it, but we need checks and balances. The problem is there's no checks and balances in the executive branch either. There's no representation. There's no House of Representatives. So this government, what's the rush? That's my question. They're pushing it through. Why do they have to say it has to happen this second? If people are by the thousand, hundreds of thousands, demonstrating in the streets, doesn't it behoove our prime minister and his associates if they actually care about the people, which they claim, to just stop for a moment and listen yeah. and find out what the other side is so concerned about. Like, what is it that's that they feel is threatening democracy with this reform? Yes, a lot of people agree we need the reform. So what's the issue here? Can't we just have a discussion? Does it have to be pushed through? And it's awful that it took the firing of the defense minister who was just doing his job for, for finally there just to be a temporary freeze. Right. I yeah. mean, I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't, yeah. So, Erica, before we move on to the others, I want to just pick up on something. First of all, I had never heard anything. You're, you have your hand on the pulse much more. I had never heard anything about rumors that Ehud Barak, former prime minister, was funding this. First of all, that's fascinating to me. Okay. That... Yeah, I, I don't want to start like- No, 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 no. I, I, I don't hear want to, from me. <laughs> first of all, how nice that, that a former prime minister of Israel has enough money to fund something like that. That's interesting. He's quite wealthy, yes. <laughs> but, but my question, but my question is whether he's doing something or not. You were, use the word cynicism. <clears throat> is it not, is it, do you not also see that possibly the whole reforms are being used cynically by the opposition? Um, I think that the extreme left, and I don't know what the motivation is for them, who present themselves as anarchists, have taken over the, the, the majority of the protest who is made up by people like me. And I would have gone to the protest if I wasn't a journalist. Um, I want to, I'm, I'm an observer. I'm a, I'm a centrist. But I think the average person, um, I forgot who said it. It's Dati Lumi, like national religious are going. It's, um, you know, traditional, secular, really everybody, everybody who just feels that it's gone too far. I don't think that it's anarchy. I don't think it's cynical. I think people are extremely concerned. And I think okay. they're reacting to, like I said, years and years of waste of money, instability, infighting, and um, cynicism by the government and lack of caring about the people. And they're just tired of it. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Arnie, you just nodded at something, Eric. You want to you want to expand? Everything. Uh, Everything. Like Eric, Eric was reading my notes. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, we might want to get back to some of the specifics. The uh, issues in the judicial reform yes. involve uh, who appoints the Supreme Court justices, uh, what is the procedure involved in other various legal issues that need to take place here, how many members of Knesset are involved in certain committees that would then lead to what lawyers are involved, et cetera. And I think, as Erica was saying, is that it just seems to be happening very fast and it's kind of strange. Now, we have on the uh, people who elected the current government, uh, remember they have 64 of 120 seats, so they are uh, slightly over half of the uh, country, so they, can, they have the, uh, the right to uh, govern. And people are saying, look, we voted for them. 
let them do what they want. You know, that's what we want. We want them to, to do it. I'm not sure that everybody who voted for them really understood that this is what was going to be happening. Right. And I and I and I think that's sort of uh, part of the issue as well. And now the people who voted for the right side of the uh, government are sort of stuck. Do we want to show our loyalty and faith in government because we voted for them? Or do we want to kind of say, wait a minute, slow down, uh, as Gallant, the uh, defense minister, had said, and then got chastised for it. He's still currently fired. Defense. Well, I don't know if he got fired. Uh, he's, he's still defense minister. Okay. Uh, he's just, I don't know, conditional defense minister. Yeah. I don't know how you would phrase it. Um, in, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the, the people who voted, are they really wanting to see reform this way? Or as we've all been saying, do they, sure. we all know we all need some kind of reform. We need a country, et cetera. But there's the specific issues that are coming up that are any given one of them is scary. And so okay. we have to discuss those individually and see what's happening. And then the people on the left, they're not anti-Israel, right? They're flying flags and they're, they're very pro-Zionist. Um, so on the left, on the uh, opposition side, right? It, it's, so which right. is hard. It's hard to to even to even categorize. But so I, I want to pick up on something, and Rolene, maybe you can comment on it first. Um, one of the things we, 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 there are many elements of the uh, of what's of of the of what's needed in judicial reform, and I think the Kohelet video that I shared, and if anyone didn't see it, can can email me, and I'll get it to you. Um, gives us good uh, overview um, and, and an overview with, with reasonable integrity. Um, one of the interesting things is the whole notion, which is fascinating here in Israel, the, about reasonableness, that the Supreme Court can decide if something is reasonable and therefore judge based on its interpretation of what's reasonable. I don't, I, I don't want to pick on that right now, but I want to ask Rolene first, do you think, Arnie has said it, I think Erica alluded to it, that there is, in fact, a reasonable consensus here in Israel for the need for judicial reform. Uh, yes, and, and like Erica, I'm very much uh, in the center. I think the danger comes in when you have um, a, a government, and, and as we know here, the government is formed out of uh, coalition partners and some of those coalition Nation parties don't necessarily constitute a large percentage of the vote. I think um, what people need to understand is that even though you win an election, you can't impose your will on the people. That is not democratic. And, and here we clearly need consensus. I, I, I'm of the belief that we, we need a constitution. Um, I, I think that... Uh, one of the issues with reasonableness, I can't even say it properly, is who decides what is reasonable? Is it unreasonable for the court to say that a, a, a minister with a, a, a criminal record, a, a criminal record regarding finances, shouldn't serve as a, a minister uh, in the government? I think that's pretty reasonable. But should... Um, a government be given a majority to override laws by the Supreme Court. There, I think that is what's got people's backs up against the wall because what does that mean? 
I think there are many parts of these reforms that clearly need, uh, or, or, or part of the, the, the setup that clearly needs reforming, such as the selection of judges. And I think that the, there is a general consensus about that. But, um, I agree with, uh, Eric, and I think, Arnie, you've said it as well. The speed in which it's been jammed through is, uh, extremely concerning. And it doesn't help when you've got a defense, I mean, a, a, a justice minister who, you know, when he's commenting about it, you know, is cutting off those concerns. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that is what is um, um, getting people all riled up. Okay. Uh, okay. Israel is not set up like other governments around the world. In essence, we, you know, we're not like Britain. We're not a constitutional monarch, monarchy where the monarch is the constitution and you have two houses of government. We're not like the United States that has two houses of government, a constitutional court and a Supreme Court and, and other countries that have those constitutions. I think the reason why there has been this uh, very strong reaction is we are aware that the way that Israel's Supreme Court government and lack of constitution is set up is that it makes our democratic values so vulnerable to mm -hmm. anybody or ah. any parties who would push through an agenda that might not be in uh, the best interest of the people of the so, state of Israel. So let me, let me ask you a follow-up. You've used the word democratic in a couple of different instances. Um, not, uh, devil's advocate, why is it not democratic for a government with 64 seats, uh, slightly over a simple majority, to have a legislative or a social agenda and advocate for it, whether it's advocated for properly or not. And I would throw the flip side. Why is it any less democratic for people who disagree with that to protest and influence the government and government policies, whether they represent uh, 46% of the electorate or 49 or Whatever, whatever the percent is, I don't know. Why is that any? Are are we in an anti-democratic system, or, or 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 is that just unique Israeli democracy, or is in fact that legitimate in all democracies? Rolene, you want to? I'm going to say something that's very controversial. I think it's when we look at the, the governments and some of the parties that make up. The coalition, I think some of their agendas is what is raising alarms. Uh, I think that is why we have seen the reaction from our armed forces the way that we've uh, seen it. Because if we do have certain elements who are extreme, I, I wouldn't even call them right wing, I would call them extreme, right. who do have um, perspectives that are highly problematic to how we position ourselves in our neighborhood and how we deal with uh, 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 minority communities in this country, certainly me as a, as a woman, as a secular woman, they are concerned. And I think that is also a, um, a reason 
reason why we are seeing such a strong response is given the makeup of this government, if we remove certain checks and balances or tip the, the, the power scales too far in one direction, what are we going to be looking at? But, but it's not anti-democratic, is it? Six, I think six, some of the, I think yeah. some of the positions that certain parties take uh, could see it as highly problematic and not democratic. And that is why we are seeing, to, to use a phrase that uh, we were talking about earlier, is you have seen this hysteria. Okay. Okay. Erica, you, you used to comment widely about uh, protests that were during previous election cycles that would take place in your neighborhood. Um, right. W- as, as annoying as they were, <laughs> that and the current government setup, would you, would you call them anti-democratic? Um, I just want to explain why they were so annoying. Um, the, the, Netanyahu, the Netanyahu family has a villa that actually the kids grew up in, that the father, Ben Sion, was living in, a few houses down from where I live. So even though the protests were concentrated on Balfour, where the prime minister's residence is, on a number of occasions on a Saturday night, um, suddenly you hear all these I don't know, what do you call them? Uh, drums, horns, and people would be like creating chaos down my street. I'm like, this is sleepy Katamoon. We have to, <laughs> we go, we work on Sunday. We're the working people. Leave us alone. <laughs> so that's why it annoyed me so much because I naturally wanted to support them, but they irritated me so much with their ruckus. Anyway, this time around, they have not gone down my street. But don't, don't, um, don't tell anyone where Erica lives. Okay. <laughs> Um, Democratic, well, Netanyahu, well, they were elected. However, you know, they, they were elected. They're, they're not, you know, illegal. You know, they were put into power. However, um, Sisi in Egypt, wasn't he democratically elected? Um, and he was representing the Muslim Brotherhood. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Hey, that's right. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not equating them. I'm not equating them. But you can't just say they were voted in. I mean, it's. It's a, and then people are saying this cynicism extends also to, let's say, Netanyahu wanting to pass a law that a sitting prime minister cannot go on trial. And a lot of people feel that this entire thing is happening because Netanyahu just does not want to go on trial. And he's manipulating all these elections just so he does not go on trial. And it's clear to a lot of people, they feel that he just doesn't care anymore. And he used to care, perhaps. And yes, he did. I think okay. I think he was great. And, um, you know, now it just seems like uh, it, it will stop at nothing. Okay. That's what people are so scared of. And uh, Democratic, technically, yes. And uh, the protests are Democratic. The government is operating democratically, but it's it's also going rogue. It seems okay. rogue. That's a good word. Arnie, you're, it's like you're feeling left out there. No protest. Do you want to give your address so we can? <laughs> I, I, I live across the street from a, a youth village where the uh, South American teens party every night till 11 or midnight. Okay. So don't worry. We we get our share. All right. Uh, but anyway, democracy is very interesting because it has a lot of different definitions. It's a very broad term, I think. And so it's hard to just say democracy, black, white, yes, no. Uh, there's representative democracies and there's direct democracies in the United States with the Democratic Republic. 
and what does it mean? So uh, we have to understand that Israel wants to be a democracy, but being a democracy clashes with Israel wanting to be a Jewish state. And by definition, we, by definition, we have non-Jewish citizens, and uh, we want our non-Jewish citizens to feel part of the country as well. So, at what point? You know, what, what if there was a majority of non-Jewish citizens in a Jewish state? Is it a Jewish state anymore? It, it, there's a, demo, you know, democracy is a nice issue, uh, as it relates, but Israel has always had that problem. And the third problem, of course, is the land of Israel, because uh, we have a lot of pieces of land that are controversial uh, to many. And so those three elements cause a lot of conflict here. And so the idea of the, uh, of is this democracy, yes, it's a democracy, but it's okay. different kind of democracy based on our particular, our particulars. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with the Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs. And living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day -day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. And please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured. And there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Okay, so our our democracy in the last week, 10 days, has gone through hyper contortions, right? Uh, the, 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 the prime minister called in the defense minister and said, don't say anything. And then two days later, the defense minister came out and said something. And the next day, the defense minister was fired, although he's not fired because he's still, he's still sitting in the defense ministry. And then really, truly spontaneous protests um, broke out on the right and the left and, and strikes which some people said are, were illegal because they weren't, I don't know, structured somehow. But th th there, there was a, in a sense, democracy in action and moves us to the point right now where the Knesset is in recess as of this week. Um, 
legislative efforts on the judicial reforms. I think though this is a consensus here among the panel that reforms are needed and and there's a belief among the panel that most Israelis believe that that uh reforms are needed in the in the judicial process. Um now that they've been suspended, the president is hosting or moderating negotiations, the strikes were called off, uh yet protests are continuing. That was surprising to me. It, it should not be surprising. No, okay. uh, the, the, pro- the protests are continuing because it's only a temporary hold. And it seems to be even like a threat still out there that if you don't talk, we're going to uh, move ahead with it anyway. Yeah. But we're not willing to talk. So I, I don't think there's any surprise here. I, I think it's just a Passover vacation convenient okay. time uh, that hopefully, hopefully we can move into the uh, talking stage. Uh, led by the president would be amazing. Uh, okay. President Herzog had tried very hard to so, create a dialogue. So let's assume that that dialogue progresses. Protests may or may not. I'll stay, I'll still stick with me being surprised. Um, I was only, not surprised. All right. All right. No one's surprised. All right. Just Jonathan, <laughs> who lives in a bubble, is surprised. Anyway, regardless of that, um, let's assume that their negotiations come are fruit, are fruit, uh, fruit, 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 what's the fruit, 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 Fruitful. And thank you. I knew it was an FR in there. Um, the, the negotiations are fruitful. That the next session of the Knesset, I don't know when that begins, sometime uh, after the Yom Hatzmaud and Independence Day, uh, that we actually see a bill proposed and 70 or 80 or more Knesset members voting to pass a logical, necessary judicial reform. Hundreds of thousands of protesters may st- have been riled up. The, the, the word that Mark Baker used, hysteria, I think is a really, really appropriate word. What needs to be done? I, and maybe I'm still in my bubble. Maybe we're not going to have that negotiation and not a bill, but play with me for a little bit. What, assuming that we're able to come to a negotiation, what needs to be done socially to restore a sense of civility? Or is, or is that even possible? Um, Erica, uh, Erica go. Um, it's very difficult. Uh, like I said, Israeli society is kind of at a crossroads. I mean, no one's mentioned the demographic issue that a lot of people are worried that um, ultra-Orthodox are really um, going to be a huge percentage of the population um, in the next bunch of years. And many of them do not work. Some of them are coming into the workforce and it's felt that ironically, like, you know, um, let's say Sephardic Mizrahi, like more um, North African versus like Ashkenazi Eastern European are considered second class. But a lot of working people feel like second class citizens because they're subsidizing the Haredim and uh, Haredim ultra-Orthodox and um, they don't even get a say in the government. Um, So that's uh, an issue. There is prejudice I guess, toward the ultra-Orthodox that is built into the system. But at the same time, it really is a problem. And, um, you know, a lot of people want to, a lot of these leaders want to ally with these co- with these parties and the coalition because they're very, very powerful. But they don't even allow women in their parties. I mean, to me, that's discriminatory and does not represent me at all. Um, and as a working person, I resent that. I resent, I don't think everyone has to serve in the army, but... Um, you know, I, I, to to refuse and then try to get whatever they're trying to get. Anyway, I'm not trying to go on a tangent, but this is like a massive civil issue that um, cannot be resolved, you know, just 
I, I don't know. We're going to have to work at it. Change comes very slowly to Israel. But it's good. Somebody told me that we're taking like how many Israel's coming up on its 75th anniversary. Um, so we're taking like, you know, 75 years of development and pushing it into like three months. I mean, this is oh, massive. It's going to change the character. And, and Israel has been changing tremendously. So maybe it's necessary. That's why it's so painful. Interesting. And we want to, it, it hurts. We're brothers, sisters, you know. So um, I think that uh, some cooler heads will have to prevail. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Arnie, I know you wanted to comment, but I want to come to you next because I'm mindful of the time. And I know you have to cut out a little bit early, Rolene. Um, let's let's go to you. Um, we we have a we have a resolution in the Knesset in two months, and they're all voting and they're happy and hugging each other. And there's judicial reforms, and seventy or eighty Knesset members vote for that. Erica Erica just gave a depiction of of, of some of the stresses. But can we put the genie back in the bottle? Can we resolve the this the loss of civility that we've all been feeling? Well, first of all, I think that events like this help because it gives us an opportunity to to speak and uh, share uh, in the marketplace of ideas. Um, I think that for us to try and get the genie to even put a toe back in the bottle, I think our leaders have to start dialing back the rhetoric. It's it, Last week's speech by the Prime Minister was very, very, very unhelpful, unhelpful. to announce a call unhelpful to announce a pause and then go straight towards blaming the media and this one and that one. That kind of rhetoric uh, does not help. You know, just as a, a, a reporter in the last three months, and I'm sure, Erica, you've experienced as well, it as well and many other people as well, you and I were talking earlier, some of the accusations um, leveled at us have been appalling. I've been called everything from a, a domestic terrorist to a seditionist, um, just just for covering mm. events. So you know, this is where we are, and, and I think I, I think we need to appeal to leaders. It also doesn't help enough that when an opposition leader also uh, uses uh, um, language like TikTok clown, you know, just just keep that kind of language out of it. You know, ironically, um, uh, what journalists have found interesting is that, you know, we say, uh, cometh the moment, cometh the man, and two men have really risen to the occasion over the last couple of months, and that's been Herzog and Guns. So, you know, that's Israeli politics for you. Always fascinating to see, you know, who, you know, where the personalities sink and swim, but, um, I don't know how we do this. I think families have been torn apart by this. Friendship groups have been torn apart. And I don't know how we start the process towards remembering that, you know, as Erica said, we are all brothers and sisters. Yeah. We are we are all one country, one people. This is all we have. And, and, and a lot of the reason for this conversation, I'm glad that you identified that Having a conversation like this is helpful. We're a mix of Jews and Christians, Israelis and people from I don't know how many continents are are, are joining us at the moment live. Um, but Christians who are our dear friends overseas are 
puzzled or concerned or praying and don't even know what don't know what to pray for as one one person uh asked so so um i i hope that this is in in light enlightening um arnie i know we're on a time frame you we only set this up a couple of days ago and you graciously joined and i'm thrilled that you did i want to give you an opportunity to respond to that but i also want to ask my last question with you and then begin the rounds the last question you have to you have to take two questions at once uh, you, you know golda Mayer once had that famous comment that um, she's a prime minister in a country of three million prime ministers. So my question to you is, if you were the prime minister, what would you do? Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, resign. No, I don't know. Uh, it's a tough job. It's a really tough job. First of all, uh, you were asking about if 70 or 80 Knesset members were to, you know, vote through a particular bill. 70 is not enough. We're at 64. Six, six additional votes, I don't think, is sufficient to quell the uh, protest and the feeling of the uh, those who feel that the government is, is running too fast. 80, perhaps. 80 votes, meaning uh, 80 out of 120, right? So that's two-thirds. I think if two-thirds of the Knesset could get together on an issue, I think that would, people would feel a lot better about it. Uh, as prime minister, the first thing I would do is I would turn over the reins, not as of the prime ministership, but of the judicial reform issues to the president. I would let the president conduct a series of meetings with all Knesset members who were interested in espousing their views. I would create a special, uh, committee, right? Everybody is very good at making committees. We have a constitutional committee. We have people in this country who have written constitutions before. This is not a new issue. And so it's time to bring those out and review them carefully and go over them. And there clearly are parts of constitutions that we can agree on and that should be pushed forward. And the issues, you know, everyone thinks uh, the United States has what we're most familiar with, that in 1776, everything was perfect. And it was 100% agreed that every article of the Constitution would be agreed upon perfectly. No, not at all. You have the whole Federalist, you have, you have the Federalist Papers where all of the founding fathers were arguing with each other all the way through about what should, shouldn't happen and all the compromises had to be made along the way. Uh, we can only look back now hundreds of years later and say, oh, it seems like it was just, you know, all hunky-dory when yeah. very nice. It. So uh, that's what I would do. I, I would move it over to a, a third party. I would let the president is starting to appoint people who are neither left or right or both left and right, et cetera, opposition and pro, and, and let it move that way. It's interesting. Thank you for that. It's interesting, Arnie. You mentioned 1776. Three of the three of us uh, today are are dual American Israeli mm-hmm. citizens, and we have that as part of our American culture. When you mentioned 1776, we realized that the U.S. was just at the end of uh of a revolutionary war and what's different now here one of the things that's different is we're 75 years into a, still a, a very successful state but we're still in a state of war um challenge uh Roline? yeah go ahead just things are different here and, and you cannot apply from other countries what's going on we can take pieces of it and 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 uh you know use it for our benefit but uh, we can't just 
copy, you know, copy paste, as they say. 100%. Uh, and it takes a lot of work. Rolene, would you like to bring a South African voice to be our be, becoming Israel's first South African born uh, prime minister? What would you do? <laughs> well, taking from our South African history, uh, we managed to come out of our darkest years using our ability to to sit down with those we perceived as our enemy and speak and, and uh, look at ways to to heal the the difficulties of the of the past. Uh, South Africans have a, a history of coming out of conflict um, peacefully. We have a, we set the benchmark for conflict resolution. You know, pity it didn't last too long. But out of out of our darkest hours came one of the world's greatest constitutions. The South African Constitution is considered one of the uh, most progressive, one of the greatest in the world, and is really. Uh, a, a thing of beauty to read. And, um, I would invite some of my, my friends who I know personally who helped draft that constitution to come on over, uh, to write elements of a new one for Israel. I'm, I'm happy to hear that Erwin Kotler was in the Times of Israel speaking about the drafting of a constitution. Um, the Jewish world has some of the, the finest legal minds in history, and, and uh, we are all patriots. We all love this country. We all want to see Israel succeed, and, and I think that's what we—that's what we need to do. And and just as in a South African, we have we, we have a cheer in Israel with electricity. So that's that's the half point. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice, Erica. You're now the first New York-born. Prime Minister. Now, taking Love out the, <laughs> taking taking out the, the the history of the movie Gangs of New York, what would you do as Prime Minister? Um, I keep saying unity, but in a perfect world, I would just drop the divisiveness and say, "Look, we're all in Israel. We all want the good of this country. Let's all come together. Let's try to forget it." And I just want to say before that, that I think that, yes, it's being blown up into this hysteria, but Israel has a massive culture of protesting. So this is just one of, you know, part of it. And right. yes, it's a very um, intense one, but Israelis are still, they're always resilient and they don't take these things as seriously. And even if they argue with their, um, you know, their friends, their coworkers, their neighbors, Maybe it's a little more serious than it normally is, but ultimately they want to come back together. They will come back together. I don't think this is going to be a permanent rift. I think it's bringing out a lot of issues that have been here and they need to be addressed because if they're not addressed, that will be a permanent rift. Yeah. But um, I think we're going to be okay. We always are. But anyway, as a prime minister... <laughs> Um, and we're, there's always something we're kind of hysterical about here. And the second that this is over, I know something else will come along and we're going to be all hysterical about that. So anyway, um, I would just try to heal and say, you know, I've been part of the problem. <laughs> Maybe not this, you know, it takes a really big person to say, I, um, you know, I was part of the problem. And the way that, let's say, Ruvain Rivlin, the president, did when during Corona, um, yeah. when he attended a, a Passover Seder with his family after the government told 
the people not to do it. But, you know, you have to say he apologized and said I was wrong. But, um, you know, the prime minister is very much a part of this divisiveness. So if, I think it will restore so much respect and like peace in the country. If the prime minister could just say, I know that I've been a part of, you know, all this storminess. Yeah. And I just want to take it and let's, you know, lead the country into a more peaceful time. I think everyone would just be so relieved and because of that, they'd be they'd be willing to put aside some of the differences. And sure. that's just what people want is just yeah. a sense of peace and like normalcy. Yeah, very, so. very insightful. We protested over prices of cottage cheese. And Israel, as you said, is a, is a tense place. Sometimes you can get cut off by someone on a Thursday afternoon at, after work. And that and, and moments later, that same person will wish you a Shabbat Shalom. As yeah. if nothing happens, so so maybe that's a that's a very good observation, uh, Arnie. I, I, so you turned your microphone back on. Did you want to? Yeah, I, yeah. Just one more thing, and I, I do need to go, but I appreciate yeah. this. Uh, thank you for having it. Uh, Erica brings up a good point about in terms of history, uh, whether it's during the time of the prophets and the times of our kings, we had a lot of infighting. We had in, in Talmudic times, two thousand years ago, we had a lot of infighting. The the second temple was destroyed. We know, uh, according to the Talmud, by uh, infighting and, and baseless hatred. Uh, we have all throughout our history, uh, the Rambam, Maimonides, uh, several hundred years ago, thousand years ago, uh, talks about how uh, from Leviticus, how you have to love your neighbor like yourself. Now, that's one of the most important commandments that we could possibly follow. And that one who doesn't do that uh, brings destruction to the world. And so we, we have this history of knowing that we're always on the edge. And here we are again on an edge. And I yeah. think, as Erica says, we do need to, uh, lower the volume at the tone and let's get back to the, the more serious issues of, of construction and not destruction. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, God willing. Um, Arnie, I know you have to go. I want to thank you for participating uh, with Rolene and Erica. I just want you to stay on for a couple more minutes. Um, I, I've asked our, our viewers to post some questions. Um, uh, Bill, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer your question about what the specific reforms are. They were addressed a little bit in the beginning, 
Um, but we'll get you anyone who wants to know what we're going to I'm collecting uh, a series of articles and I will uh, and your question is a good question. I will try to um, uh, put them together addressing addressing topics specifically like what are the reforms uh, being proposed. Uh, but many of them have been addressed here. So I'm not going to uh, go into that right now. There is one question that I do want to ask. I'm not sure if it's from Chris or Cecilia or from both of you, um, but it's a good question. What is the nature of the Israel that everyone is protesting for? Is it different to other countries or is it guided by the values that other countries espouse? Um, I think that Israel's strength is that its values and even its calendar make it different and better. Rolene, Erica, you want to? Comment? Um, I think we touched on this a little when we said that um, Israel is not like other countries and can't, you know, grab elements. Of, it can take elements, but it's not going to be like we are a Jewish state, um, even though we have very respected Christian and Arab. You know, we we call ourselves that, and there's no, but there's no separation of church and state, and that's what causes some of the issues that we see. Um, so. Sorry. What is what is the question? Is is Israel what is the Israel that we're fighting for? What is the nature of the Israel that people are protesting for? Well, I think that some people are fight, are fighting for in Israel where the people really are heard and that there's a large section of the people that feel they are not being heard and they're not re represented by this government. Um but I um I think the right leaning I, I don't want to call it right. The government is made up of a lot of people who have very strong attitudes and feel like the original nature of the country was lost. And that's a lot of people voted for this government, because, specifically Smotrich and Ben Gvir, because they, um, they advocated for killing terrorists rather than just putting them in jail, because there's a feeling that Israel has become way too soft on terrorism. Um, and forgot its initial character, which is to be a haven for people. And um, so I think that's the Israel that let's say a lot of people are fighting for too. It's it's the Israel where they feel comfortable, where they feel heard, where they're not left out in the cold. Um, and it's hard to say it's like any other country or because um, uh, it's it's just a country that was formed because um, Jews needed a refuge and it's evolved so much over the years. And um, it's a country that was yearned for, for thousands and thousands of years. And a lot of people have a stake in it. Uh. Um, so that's the Israel we're fighting for. It's biblical, it's modern, um, it's divisive, but ultimately um, I think most people have the same thing that they want, which is to feel comfortable because it right. means a lot to, to everyone, and I think that's why it's so fiery. Does that yeah. make sense? <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. It's good. It's a good uh, social observation. How about you, Rolene? What's the nature of the Israel that everyone is protesting for? Is it different, or is it guided by the values that other countries espouse? What's your thought? I think, as Erica says, we we are different to other countries. Um, I, I don't think there are any other countries in the world that. Uh, have the history that we do, but also have have had the societal and neighborhood upheavals 
that we do. And I think it was Erica who said it earlier, you know, we're in a permanent state of hysteria because we, we always have something to be hysterical for. But for me, um, this really is about the soul of Israel. Uh, I am concerned about certain elements in our government that uh, I, I'm concerned that they may trample on the civil rights of uh, others in this country who, who are minority communities. And, and I don't want to see that. I want to see um, an Israel who's, uh, as we say, is a, a light into the nations because we, uh, we're a tolerant society. We, uh, um, we understand and we, uh, and we make room for people's differences. And I don't want to see the rights of um, of anybody else trampled upon. I am very concerned. I understand people voted uh, a Smotrich and a Ben Gavir based on their their promises to eradicate terror. Unfortunately, we're sitting with uh, terror attacks nearly every single day in this country. Okay. Fifteen Israelis killed um, so far, and. Uh, uh, rhetoric and invective coming that is inflammatory and is hurting our standard and our standing in the world and, and how the world sees us and uh, what people like you and I fight so hard every day against, which is accusations of, of racism and, and apartheid. And I, I'm concerned about too much power given to elements that will, that will erode this uh, um, this wonderful, modern, tolerant, but still ancient uh, Jewish-Israeli country. Which, which ultimately brings us back to where we began, which are those issues of the judicial reform, which, uh, and, 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 I, and I'll just add a bit of, of the maybe as a summary to the question about what are we protesting for we're protesting for preserving what we what we have built mm -hmm. we're protesting for the, the the proper balance as arnie mentioned of maintaining the jewish nature of the country but also the rights of all of its citizens and uh uh, Rolene, you just used civil rights. I think that was the first time that came up, but that's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a good description and it's appropriate to wrap up with. Um, I think that what we've, I think we've done a very good job and, and Rolene and Erica and Arnie, of course, who already had to leave. I'm really grateful for you being part of this conversation, making the time, shedding light. Uh, I hope that it's been informative and I always look forward to the feedback of, of viewers and listeners uh, as to as to a what you've learned and has it been helpful and b what are there there are probably as many questions still unanswered as I think that we have answered and answered well that you've answered and I'm grateful. Um, we always wrap up our webinars with a prayer. We are mindful that we're bringing in we're building bridges between Jews and Christians. And and Erica, you just said something about. Uh, I think people having uh, that we have a, a big stake in this country. We have a lot of friends 
around the world who are Christians who who also have a big stake. And um, I'm I'm pleased to bring uh, my friend Pastor Lorraine Cacanato, um, who's joining us from Nashville, um, to close us in prayer. Um, any 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 comments about the nature of the conversation would be great, but but to hopefully end us on a on an appropriate high, so that as we go forward, we're all focused on uh, on something that's the perhaps the most mundane that we can all do, which is pray. Pastor Lorraine. Thank you. I wanted to mention that as we approach Pesach, we realize that Satan, Satan, the opposer of the brethren, would like to divide, conquer, and implode the nation of Israel from mm -hmm. within. And and we, we need to be mindful of that. I do believe that there is a lot of mockery around the world for the Jews and the Jewish state. And that we as Christians that love this nation, we're more solidified in many ways than some of the Jews are. But we want to let you know we pray for you. We love you. We stand with you. We're here for you. I also want to encourage everyone on this line, since you've been on this call today, this webinar, that you would consider supporting Genesis 1, 2, 3. Just go to Genesis123.co and you can donate. It's a worthy cause. I did it myself this morning. I thought I couldn't mention this without making a donation to Jonathan, who is a precious friend and a really appreciated individual, a bridge builder. So, Father, I just want to come before you right now. I want to come with a heart that is humble before you, Lord. There are issues in Israel right now that look insurmountable. They look too high. They look like a peak that cannot be reached. But you are the great I am. You are the Holy One of Israel. Adonai, we call upon you to come and intervene in this matter and show yourself, reveal yourself. Give instruction to the leadership of the nation of Israel, Prime Minister Netanyahu, President Herzog, all those that are in the Knesset, Lord, that there would be a, an agreement that would come to restore shalom, not only in the Knesset, but in the land, that everyone in the land would have a sense that their leaders are negotiating on their behalf. And for this, we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Lorraine. Uh, very helpful. And, and especially as you, you might be the only one who mentioned Passover this week, Pesach. Um, so that, <laughs> so that as we go, as we go into Passover and, uh, and Easter, um, I just want to conclude my remarks thanking again all of you. Uh, the panelists, Pastor Lorraine, um, everyone who's joined live and who's following, uh, subsequently. And that whether you're celebrating Passover or Easter or both of them, that, uh, that it be a joyous season for you and your family and, uh, and, and that conversations be, um, focused, uh, appropriately spiritually and hopefully not divisive. Thank you all. God bless you. God bless you. If you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. 
Beginning earlier last year, the Genesis 123 Foundation has been offering a special gift related to each episode. Every month, we've been giving away a special volume, what we call From Jonathan's Bookshelf. All we ask is that you do is go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and follow and like us. And when you comment and share the link to this program, we will select one person at random to receive a special volume that you'll want on your own library. This month, we're giving away a copy of Bubby's story. It's a special uh, special story that we actually produced ourselves to share the life of a woman who's turning 100, 100-year-old Holocaust survivor. We want to share and celebrate her life with you. We're grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. And if you're ever in the area and want to pop in and thank them for helping make conversations like this possible, please do so. And also thanks to the Coin family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. This episode, we have the, pr- the privilege and responsibility to dedicate in memory of Lorraine Hodes, whose Hebrew name was Zlata Bat Rachel. Lorraine was the mother of our friend and listener, Mark, and we pray that her memory continued to be a blessing for her and for him and his family, and that they continued to be comforted by the love and support of friends and relatives near and far. Please join me in praying for the family. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any comments that you have or questions as part of a dialogue and invite you to communicate the same email address, inspirationfromzion at gmail.com, especially with questions about traditional Judaism or our Ask the Rabbi programs, also regarding current events here in Israel. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversation about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy. And I send my blessings from right here in the Judean Mountains. God bless you.